Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Beloved, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. I'm here with my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. My name is John Russin. I serve as the play-by-play. He's the color commentator. How are you, my friend? I'm doing very well, my friend. How are you? Well, it's full summer in Southern Arizona now. And so I know why people head north at this time of the year. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. It is. But Frank, a couple of weeks ago, when we started our series on attitude, we looked at Philippians 2, we looked at Genesis 3, and then the Holy Spirit, the last couple of episodes, took us down a rabbit trail. And I know you like rabbit trails. You call them fat <laughs> rabbits. <laughs> uh, and this rabbit trail was dealing with the importance of our attitude as we face a unique circumstance. When we who know Christ is life, we are learning the grace of God when we come into an assembly that doesn't teach the new covenant. So that's really the circumstance that we've begun to do a deep dive into. And the last two chats we've had, we've talked about how critical it is for us to be delicate, compassionate as we offer the truth. And then we looked at Luke chapter four last time, Frank, if you recall, and we saw how Jesus managed this in-your-face opposition. So I want to continue today, my friend, looking at the Apostle Paul and how he handled attitude. But I want to begin, my friend, by asking you to describe Paul's attitude before Acts 9, before he met the (laughs) Savior on the road to Damascus. Just give us a snapshot. What was his attitude like? Well, it's interesting, John, you know, you bring that up because a lot of times people, when they come to the new covenant and they realize that they are brand new, they often think to themselves, I've got to make this 180 degree diametrically opposed turn from who I am. And yet when you look at Paul, it's funny, you know, he was a hard charger, a fiery orator, a a strong leader. Well, after the Damascus Road, he was the same. Fiery orator, strong leader, a hard charger, but he had a different power source. And I think it's very interesting. I'm glad you asked this question. That different power source, which was now the life of God in him, also brought with it a different attitude. His actions may have been the same but with the different power sources and much different attitude. We look at him, we know from the book of Acts that he was there when Stephen was killed. We know from 1 Timothy 2 that he was, in his own words, a violent aggressor, a persecutor of the church, a murderous man. We know from Philippians 3 
that he was kind of self-inflated <laughs> and in a way self-deceived. He thought he was perfect touching the law, which we know no man is, but at least in his own eyes, like the Pharisee of Luke 18, he saw the best about himself and saw none of the weakness. But when the Holy Spirit opened his eyes, he became a much more humble man, still strong, still fiery, but he realized that without Christ, he was nothing. And remember in the Corinthian letter, he says, I, I came to you as a fool, Christ crucified. I don't think the pre-Damascus Road Paul would have ever uh, considered himself a fool. Oh, no. His, <laughs> his confidence was now Christ instead of himself. So it was a, what I would call maybe, John, a quiet strength, yeah. a strength under control. Yeah, good phrase, my friend. A quiet strength. When I look back at him, second-generation Pharisee, can you imagine what it was like growing up in his home? <laughs> oh, my You're goodness. You're a Pharisee. Your father's a Pharisee. Golly, what a nightmare. <laughs> Advancing beyond many in his age, Galatians 1, he told us that. Two thoughts jump out at me. The guy was a know-it-all. Mm. And the guy was absolutely zealous for what he believed to be true. Okay, mm. so this guy, this young whippersnapper know-it-all, meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Ananias steps in, lays hands on him. And Frank, this is what he wrote. This is what Paul wrote in Galatians 1. He said, after this happened, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Let's stop right there. That, that mm -hmm. sort of floored me. I mean... He didn't ask anybody to help him figure it out. He didn't say, oh, yeah, I knew all that. <laughs> the truth mm. of the new covenant stunned this second generation Pharisee for three years. Mm. Wow. I, I look, this guy who had so much to say couldn't say a word. And then he continues, mm. nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. I'm reading now from Galatians 1. But I went away into Arabia. And returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. Frank, what an attitude change. The guy who knew everything now suddenly realizes he doesn't know anything at all. Wow, what a mm. life-changing experience this was for him. You know, it's interesting, John, because Paul says, be an imitator of me. But then he has these very interesting words, as I imitate Christ. And I think the church has made this mistake of thinking that we imitate the behavior. And I don't think that's what Paul was talking about. He was talking about imitating Jesus' method. Jesus lived from the Father. We know that in John 6, 57. And so throughout the New Testament in the Gospels, Jesus repeatedly says, I can do nothing without the Father. As I hear, I speak. As I hear, I judge. And then in the rest of verse 57, he's now you live out of me. And without me, John 15, you can do nothing. So we see in Paul this 
attitude shift that is based on life source. You know, when you realize, John, that you can really do nothing, and and that doesn't mean we can't do anything. I mean, look at mankind apart from God. We've come up with how to manufacture cars, how to harness electrical power, how to harness nuclear power. We put a man on the moon. But nothing of eternal value comes through a human being without God as his source. That transforms you into a man of purpose, to a man of humility, to a man of meekness, because you do recognize where your life source comes from. And that's what Jesus, he did the same thing. He was a man with his strength under control. And that's exactly what Paul was. And I think what we're called to be. So Indeed. Uh, my friend, when I think about the attitude that Paul exhibited, that tender, delicate, exquisitely kind and compassionate attitude we saw in our Savior and we saw in our Father in Genesis chapter 3. We see that in Paul. I want to pull just one passage out for us to discuss today. Mm -hmm. This is 1 mm -hmm. Corinthians 9, where Paul writes, you know, again, to a church that got its share of problems. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself, catch those words, my friend, I have chosen to make myself a servant to all, that mm -hmm. I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Mm. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. So when I read through this, Frank, I see Paul being willing to step into almost any circumstance and represent Christ and describe his life and his grace in such a way that it's welcomed, heard and received it's mm. not judgmental it's not critical he just kind of slips into every circumstance like he's one of the guys and says hey let me tell you what jesus christ's life looks like in this situation frank that staggers me mm. i have become all things to all people that by all means i might save some Wow. I mean, what an attitude change, because he certainly was walking into those outside the lawless heathen and seeing a million things wrong. The same with yeah. walking into any local synagogue and seeing a million things that they were just missing, following shadows and not mm -hmm. substance. But he didn't say a word. He just said, let me tell you about Jesus. Wow. What a picture of an ambassador, isn't it? Yeah, John, I couldn't help but hear in my mind when you were speaking, that verse popped in, because a lot of people don't think of Paul as tender, gentle. You know, they've got these thoughts in their brain of, I oppose Peter to the face, you know, and, and Yodi and Syntyche, those two warring women, you know, he tends to call it like it is sometimes. But that, I think, is born out of necessity. When there's somebody living so contrary, then he has to rise up, which is exactly what the Lord Jesus did. 
He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. When he said, come to me and take my yoke, he said, I am meek and lowly in spirit. But that same Jesus made a whip twice to cleanse the temple when they were making money off of God's people. So, but for the most part, there is that tenderness. That's the spirit of God. That's the spirit of Christ. And Paul in Thessalonians, this is the verse that popped up my head when I was listening to you. He told the Thessalonians, I was among you like a nursing mother caring for her child. I was tender. So I do believe that's the true expression of the spirit of Christ, but it will rise up when it has to. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, it does. When I think about this, my friend, my mind also runs to all those passages where he was just so firm. But over the course of all his epistles, my impression was that he didn't try to show himself right at others' expense. He didn't boast in what he knew to get glory or recognition for himself. And boy, doesn't that sound like Saul of pre-Acts 9. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't charge into any church or synagogue and demand all these changes. Mm -hmm. He just lifted up Jesus Christ. It's like Jesus says, you lift up Jesus. You lift me up and I will draw all men. And he says at the end of that passage in 1 Corinthians 9, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. It's interesting. Paul was the first one to declare the full gospel with the goal that he and his converts might share the blessings of the new covenant together. Wow. Hmm. That does not sound like the know-it-all cloak-holding, imprisoning, condemning, vicious murderer that we saw earlier, does it? Mm -hmm. And John, this is an issue of identity. It's also a, an issue of role. You said a word a few minutes ago that I think might have passed by the ears of our listeners. And we need to, I think, come back to it. It's that word ambassador. You made a statement. He wasn't there to exalt himself. An ambassador is never there to exalt himself. He is the representative of a foreign government. He is there to exalt the one who sent him. So maybe we could talk about that word ambassador. I know that's a big word on your heart and mind. Well, it certainly is. And as we go through the rest of these episodes, we will spend some time talking about ambassadors. But for the time being, I'll give a real quick snapshot. When I worked... I spent a lot of time overseas, and I spent a lot of time dealing with diplomatic staff, ambassadors, and the like. And I remember one circumstance where we were meeting with the ambassador from Hungary, and we had a question regarding some dynamics of relationship between our university and a certain university in Hungary. And we raised the issue, and the ambassador responded with an answer that even though it wasn't the president of the country, it was as binding as if the president of the country had said it. And so basically, by meeting with an ambassador, it was just as good as meeting with the president. So that's the picture. Mm -hmm. We are to be such perfect representatives of Jesus that if they look at us, 
they can see Jesus in us. You know, mm. and that's pretty humbling, Frank, because I look back on my life. And if I look back on your life, we <laughs> haven't always been the best ambassadors, have we? No. In those early years, you know, we had an agenda to proclaim the new covenant. And using that glorious finished work of Christ to let people in on the freedom that was already theirs and deliver them from the religious bondage they were living in that we had been living in. And that was God's agenda, but I'm not so sure our method was right. There was a lot of strength on our parts. There was a lot of, in, in many respects, using the word of God to back people into a corner. <laughs> so oh, they gosh, see, it yes. our, see it our way. <laughs> and, you know, um, John, a lot of people got free, but I wonder sometimes if they'd have gotten free quicker if it wasn't <laughs> yeah. for our methodology. Or more would have found freedom at that time. Frank, listen to your talk. My mind jumps to, I think it's Acts 17, where uh, Paul's in Athens and mm -hmm. he's walking through town and he sees all these altars and he sees one labeled to an unknown God. And instead of saying, what a bunch of losers, you got so many things wrong. He didn't trash these other gods. He simply said, hey, look, let's talk about the God you don't know. And so he just met them where they were, Frank. No criticism, no condemnation. He simply stepped into their life, met them where they were, and used that as a perfect segue to talk mm. about Jesus Christ. My goodness, what an example to us. Well, yes, John, and, and that again comes from realizing that this isn't about us. It's about the one we represent. It's the one who sent us. It's the one whose life is in us. And so, you know, when we read the Gospels and John the Baptist made that incredible declaration, he must increase I must decrease. You know, some people I hear in the grace movement, don't beat yourself down. Don't put yourself down. That is not putting ourselves down. It's having the correct understanding of who we are and whose we are. And so we are very special. We are saints. We are children of God. We're princes and princesses in his kingdom. But it's his kingdom, and he's the king, and he's the one we represent, and he's the one we want to point people to, not ourselves. That's right. And, you know, because this is a kingdom issue, my friend, and we face warfare every day of our lives, we are going to face attacks in this realm. I read in Acts 21 where there were allegations, charges against the Apostle Paul. People were basically lying about him, Frank, alleging mm. that he taught that all the Jews should forsake Moses, throw the Torah away, forsake Moses, don't circumcise your children. And this was so far from Paul's primary MO. He never stopped being Jewish. He walked into a synagogue and was perfectly comfortable. He didn't trash Judaism. He just simply said that all those things, sacrifices, the meals, the lifestyles, et cetera, 
he clarified now, Frank. He said, hey, look, let me tell you what they really are. They're just simply shadows that pointed to the substance, Christ. So he took the accusations against him and turned them right back into explanations about Jesus Christ. So much so that scripture describes that he accompanied men to the temple who were under a vow, and he purified himself with them, paid their expenses. And so he stepped in full-fledged into Judaism just to show that he understood where they were, he understood how they thought, and he was able to speak life, grace, and truth from Jesus into their circumstance. He didn't try to show them they were wrong. He just simply stepped into it and shined his light of truth. Wow. Well, like you said earlier, John, he became all things to all people that he might win some. And there's those two verses, you know, we highlighted them last time, I believe. John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. Amazing that the Spirit put this together. For God so loved the world that he gave his life. And then he says, since he laid down his life for us, 1 John 3.16, we should lay down our lives for others. That's what Paul did. It was about Christ in him not about the Apostle Paul. Didn't throw his credentials around, didn't throw his weight around. Only in the book of Galatia, when he had to fight for the saints, did he claim and exercise that exalted role of apostle. For the most part, that was more of a title for him than a call for people to pay attention to what he was saying, except when he had to use it. Yeah. You are so right, my friend. I'm trying to summarize in my mind as we wrap this up. When I look at how Paul interfaced with specifically his Jewish brethren, he knew that religion like the inside of his pocket. He was raised in it. He knew it well. And when he interfaced with those people, the believing Pharisees, his own people we see in Acts 15, the believing Pharisees, when he interfaced with them, he just simply spoke the truth. He didn't try to convince them the 52 ways they were wrong. He just simply spoke the truth. Frank, what a humbling reminder of what our job really is in the body of Christ today. Wrap us up, my friend. Well, listening to you there at the end, John, we don't argue to defeat people. We present an argument to win them. And that's where Colossians 4, Paul said some wonderful words. Let your words be seasoned with salt. Salt makes things taste good. So our words should taste good in the ears and of people that we're speaking to. And salt is also a preservative. We're to speak the truth in such a way that we preserve that person instead of tearing them down. And summed up in those words, speak the truth in love. So great thoughts today, John. Amen, my friend. Thank you so much. And uh, dear ones, we thank you for listening today to this episode of the podcast. And if Father has really reached out and touched you in any way, if he's giving you a leg up or giving you some insight as to how to adjust your attitude as you come into assemblies who 
don't understand the new covenant perhaps as well as you do, then first thank him because he is the one who has opened the eyes of your understanding. And then we invite you to check out our website, OurResoluteHope.com. There you find Mm -hmm. lots of resources that are geared toward precisely that goal. The incredible truth of Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior and our very life. And there are resources there that can help you strengthen your own walk and equip you to share the life with others. So please check it out. And as always, Frank and I close with this reminder from Hebrews chapter 6 that we have a hope as an anchor for our souls. The hope is living, it's steadfast, it's blessed, it's resolute. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.